Welcome everyone to this podcast series titled, The Testimony for Yeshua. I am Michael, your host for this show. This program is being recorded as both an audio podcast series and a video podcast series. At Polyet Lotion Publishing, we leverage modern communications technology in art, entertainment, and information for the benefit of a future-ready audience in order to disseminate the message of God's eternal truth. First, I want to tell our audience a little about the content of this show and its purpose. The show will consist of six episodes covering the testimony for Yeshua's innocence as a human being and the truth of how he was the Messiah. As a witness to God's eternal truth, I will present a case in Yeshua's defense to counter the false accusations being made by pagans, heretics, and the Antichrist about Yeshua's birth, life, crucifixion, resurrection, and the coming day of judgment by examining the scriptures within the New Testament that prove the man we know as the Christ, God's anointed one, was an innocent man when he was murdered by pagan Romans and heretic Jews nearly 2,000 years ago. I will also present a vision of new life to come for those who believe in God's message of eternal truth and accept the Holy Spirit in the second birth. Yes, the time is getting close that everyone needs to accept the Holy Spirit and know God's eternal truth because evil men in this world are plotting the destruction of the earth, and the suffering of all mankind with their hatred and greed. I may not need to be specific, but I will reference, for practical purposes, that the warfare in Ukraine and Israel are evidences of the destruction to come. We are witnessing the beginning of World War III. I want to reiterate to our audience that our purpose in this series is to present a case to the world as a witness of God's eternal truth by arguing for the innocence of Yeshua, who has been blasphemously accused of being the Son of God. We will be presenting evidence from the text of the Holy Bible and from even older prophetic texts that originated before the time of Moses to prove that Jesus Christ was the innocent Son of a Man. We will further prove that Yeshua was falsely accused of being the Son of God by demonically possessed morons and lunatics, pagan idolaters, and heretic Jews who persecuted and crucified Jesus for his true faith in Almighty God, the Father, who is the Holy Spirit. I will also identify in this program the identity of the Antichrist because the time has come for humanity to know precisely who that is and what actions to take. This program is not about claiming that Jesus was not the Messiah, the Christ, or that he was not crucified and resurrected by God's power and Holy Spirit. This program is not Antichrist, because I truly believe that Yeshua was the one true Christ. The Antichrist may be known as those who claim Yeshua was the Son of God. This testimony for Yeshua is all about presenting evidence to the world that proves his innocence as a human being and that he also knew and taught God's eternal truth in his life and ministry. 
Yeshua wanted all of humanity to know that Almighty God is only one entity and to accept the Holy Spirit in the second birth. Our second episode will cover Yeshua's ministry and miracles. We will be presenting and discussing New Testament scripture to continue our claim that Yeshua was an innocent human being. But I must make it clear to the audience that we regard the modern-day text of the New Testament to be an editorialized fraud. We reject the concept of the Bible's inerrancy as it has been argued by heretical theologians who are unwilling to have humility before God and accept correction by the Holy Spirit through prophecy and a true spiritual relationship with God. The Holy Bible is a cursed book because pagans and heretics have edited the original testimonies and materials so that the book agreed with the pagan ideologies of the failed Roman Empire. The truth is still in the text of the Holy Bible because those early editors were not able to change all of the facts in the testimonials of the apostles. While there are many people today who strive to change history by telling an entirely new version of it, we categorically refuse to accept their so-called wokeness that attempts to whitewash humanity's crimes of pagan idolatry, human slavery, and sexual immorality. What has happened since the time of Jesus is that pagans and heretics have repeatedly modified the testimonies of the apostles in an effort to further support their false ideologies, which ultimately blaspheme God's Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is an unforgivable sin. Our testimony does not blaspheme God's Holy Spirit because we give this testimony of Yeshua's innocence on His behalf and proclaim that God is only one entity, the everlasting Holy Spirit. There are many references to the events of healing throughout the New Testament Gospels, so there really is no need to cite any particular passage. The stories of these many miracles appear in all four Gospels, which truly makes these testimonies about healing to be undeniably truthful. In the first episode of this series, I demonstrated how the text of these first few books of the New Testament contain the truth about Yeshua's innocence that is mixed in with a great deal of heretical editorialization. I will continue to present evidences in this episode of how Yeshua was an innocent man while pointing out the guilt of those pagans who endeavored to tell lies about him and make the world believe their lies were the truth. I am going to be using the Gospel according to Mark in this episode for the support of my argument that Yeshua was an innocent man. I cannot deny that there is great truth in the telling of these many miracles of casting out demons, healing the sick, and even raising the dead because these abilities are the characteristics of the archangel Raphael. According to information that may only be found in the book of Enoch, the management of spirits and the power to heal was the characteristic that God gave to the archangel Raphael, and this ability was one of the paths of angels prophesied by Enoch. The secret of these angel paths has never before been revealed to the world as I am telling about them here, but the truth about the path of angels has always been within the ancient testimony of Enoch. Yeshua's destiny was to become the Messiah, God's chosen one, for the salvation of humanity, and these miracles prove he had the abilities of the archangel Raphael. Only the chosen one may follow the paths of four archangels. Teaching repentance even unto death was the task God gave to Fanuel, 
And Yeshua mastered this characteristic because he taught repentance even unto death. There have been other men throughout history who have attempted to follow the path of angels, but none have followed them to the same extent as Yeshua. The volume of stories that tell about the miracles of healing and casting out of demons performed by Yeshua during his lifetime are the undeniable proof that he mastered the characteristics of the archangel Raphael. No other man in history can be credited with the extensive number of events of healing and management of spirits the same as can be credited to Yeshua. Yeshua's ministry was filled with many inexplicable miracles that were proof that he had been chosen by God to become the Messiah. There are the testimonial evidences, although hearsay, that even describe signs from the heavens occurring in relation to the events in the life of Christ. These additional miracles are not clearly supported in the ancient prophecy, but they do not deny or contradict God's eternal truth. Therefore, we can accept these accounts of other miracles to be acceptable evidence that God enabled many different signs and miracles to signify the proof of Yeshua's destiny to become known as the Christ. One example of a sign from God uniquely associated with the life of Yeshua is the voice of God saying aloud that he is pleased with Yeshua and God calls him his son as a loving gesture. Some might insist this to be proof that Jesus was the Son of God, but there is no veracity to those claims because God loves all of us as his children, sons and daughters, the same as he loves Yeshua. God calls all of us his sons and daughters, and those who believe God is the Holy Spirit will know this statement to be the truth. The event of transfiguration has not been understood correctly without the true knowledge of its purpose that appears in the book of Enoch. The transfiguration of Christ is one of the most important in Yeshua's life, and the transfiguration does not provide any proof that Jesus was the Son of God. The heretics who have editorialized the testimonies and created other theologies about this event have denied other evidence that shows this event was God's power and gift of everlasting life to a human being. The event of transfiguration was known to Jesus and others because the description of it has appeared in the book of Enoch and also in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. The transfiguration event appears in three of the Gospels, but it does not appear in the Gospel according to John. There are serious problems with all three of these testimonies, and there is an obvious reason why this description of the transfiguration does not appear in the gospel according to John. Before I get into explaining the reason for these discrepancies, I would like to say something important about the book of Mark. Of all four of the gospels in the New Testament collection, Mark has the most unusual history of them all. The Amplified Bible, one of the several different texts I use in my study of the scriptures, tells that Mark, who wrote this book, was not one of the original twelve disciples. All of what appears in the Gospel according to Mark is based on hearsay because he was not present to hear Yeshua speak or witness the events because the Gospel according to Mark is based on what the disciples told him when he knew them after Jesus had gone from the earth. The accuracy of what this writer says becomes questionable. More importantly, the interference by pagan and heretical editors have obviously altered some details to make the testimonies seem to agree with each other. Mark wrote about the events of Yeshua's life in a time after Yeshua was murdered on the cross. Still, there is the potential that Mark was around 
and follow the crowds of people who were also listening to and following Yeshua during his ministry. There is also scholarly speculation that a portion of the original writings may have been lost or probably shortened by those early Catholic heretics whom I am accusing of editing the original manuscripts. I propose that the mission of some parts of the testimony most likely occurred because Mark probably said a great many things in his telling of the story that were not acceptable to the pagans who edited his original testimony. Mark's original story may have provided information that the pagan heretics did not want anyone else to know because he may have presented details not found in any of the other Gospels. As a result of my own research, I once considered that the author of Mark's Gospel might have been Flavius Josephus, but I am more inclined after further study to consider that the ancient Jewish heretic Flavius Josephus might have been at least one of the editors of the original text written by the man named John Mark who followed Yeshua's disciples in those early years after Christ. There were other authors who contributed to the New Testament writings many years later and they could have also been the heretics who intentionally altered the original texts. Among them were heretics like Flavius Josephus, a pagan Roman who studied languages and converted to Judaism. Mark's Gospel includes an account of the Transfiguration, but the nearly repetitious and identical details suggest that the inclusion of this event in Mark's Gospel may have been added by another editor who endeavored to create corroborating testimonies in at least three of the Gospels. The three versions of the event are only slightly different except for one thing which ultimately gives the telling of this event away as a fraud. All three of these testimonies describing the event of the transfiguration say that there were two beings who appeared and conversed with Jesus. The three human witnesses to the event were Peter, James, and John. But the editorialized hearsay accounts say that the two eternal witnesses to Yeshua's transfiguration were Moses and Elijah. As I mentioned earlier, there are problems with these testimonies. First of all, one of the two beings seen with Jesus could not have been Moses. In order for Moses to have been one of the two eternal witnesses, Moses would have needed to receive everlasting life during his lifetime. However, Moses was never transfigured with eternal life. While he received the tablets with the Ten Commandments from God, that event was not a transfiguration. Apparent revision of Old Testament text has attempted to draw a parallel description of the New Testament event with Moses being all glowing when he came down the mountain with the tablets like in at least one description of Yeshua after his transfiguration. The truth is that Moses did not receive everlasting life from Almighty God the same as Yeshua, Enoch, and Elijah. There is no specific description of Elijah's transfiguration in biblical texts, but he was taken away by God in a whirlwind made by a flaming chariot with flaming horses. It is an easy conclusion that Elijah did not die. Enoch did not die either because he was also taken away by God after transfiguration. The event described for Elijah could have been the event of transfiguration the same as it was for Enoch. Moses died on earth and his body was buried on Mount Nebo. Had Moses been transfigured to have everlasting life? 
God would have taken him away, the same as Enoch, Elijah, and Yeshua, because a human being transfigured with everlasting life cannot continue to exist among ephemeral beings on earth. If Yeshua had stayed on earth, he would still be alive today. While some people might think that would be great, the truth of it is that it would not be acceptable to God that an eternal being would be present among ephemeral beings because all would regard that being as God. Jesus was not God, but he received eternal life for his service to God as the Messiah and Christ. The truth of this statement comes from the Holy Spirit and may be validated by reading the book of Enoch, which describes in great details the first event of transfiguration in the history of mankind. The oldest testimony of the first man who personally met God is in the book of Enoch. Yeshua was not the first to have received everlasting life by transfiguration, and he will not have been the last. There will be a great many others who receive the gift of everlasting life by this same event of transfiguration in light from above on Judgment Day. Some people call this the rapture, but there is more to know about it than just being the return of Christ and the apocalyptic day of judgment. Although there are some serious faults with the story Moses tells in Genesis, Moses writes that God took Enoch away in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. The book of Enoch explains the matter with more detail in Enoch's own words and that he had been transfigured with everlasting life when God took him away. Enoch was with God's angelic sons until it was time for him to return to earth to educate his own son, Methuselah, and he returned later to tell his great-grandson Noah what he needed to do to prepare for the flood. There is also the testimony of Noah in the English-translated version of the book of Enoch recovered in Assyria by James Bruce in 1773 that describes how he was also transfigured with everlasting life. Noah lived approximately 1,000 years on earth, which was far longer than Moses lived. But the account of Noah by Moses tells that Noah died on earth. If Noah were one of the two witnesses appearing with Christ at his transfiguration, then he would have been taken away from the earth by God, the same as Enoch, Elijah, and Yeshua. It is with some concession that I say it was not likely that Noah was one of the two witnesses, because of his reported death on earth, the same as the death of Moses. However, Elijah was known to Jesus and his disciples as John the Baptist, and he was beheaded and died on earth just prior to Christ's transfiguration. In consideration that Elijah returned to earth being known as John the Baptist in order to fulfill prophecy that Elijah would return to herald the Messiah, then it is logical to conclude that Elijah was transfigured to be eternal. Elijah would not have been born to Mary's relative, Elizabeth. But I will discuss that matter more in episode 4 of this series. It is agreeable that Elijah would still have been more likely to be one of the two present at Yeshua's transfiguration as an eternal witness than Noah by virtue of the documentation of his ascension event. I will present more about this theory of Elijah's return in episode 3 when I provide further analysis and evidence from the Gospel according to Luke. The curious thing about all of these repeated testimonies that seem to say the same thing about 
who was present at the transfiguration with Jesus is that none of the testimonies about the event were from any of those who were physically present to witness the event. In fact, these testimonies say that Jesus specifically told those who were there not to talk about what they had seen until after his resurrection. These other three testimonies say that Jesus told Peter, John, and James not to talk about what they had seen on the mountainside until the Son of Man should rise from the dead. It might seem reasonable that John would have included the testimony of that event as he saw it because he could have told about it after Christ's resurrection. There is an obvious reason why the description of the most important event of transfiguration occurring in the life of Christ does not appear in the Gospel according to John. The reason is that the Gospel according to John was not written by the man who was an original disciple of Jesus Christ and the writer who created the blasphemous document that Catholics have used to support their pagan doctrine was never a witness to the transfiguration event. While I will present even more specific details to further prove Yeshua's innocence as a man when discussing the Gospel according to John in episode 4 of this series, I will say at this time that the absence of this event in this unknown John's Gospel is proof that the person who wrote that Gospel was not the disciple of Christ at any time in his life. The person who wrote the Gospel according to John was a pagan heretic who only masqueraded as a disciple to create a fraudulent document that has the intent to support Catholic doctrine. The man who wrote the Gospel according to John was the Antichrist, a pagan heretic who called Yeshua the Son of God. Of course, there will be huge numbers of people listening to me say this, who will insist what I am saying is not what the Bible says. I remind the audience that I have already made it clear and proven this to be a fact within this initial presentation that the text of the New Testament has been fraudulently editorialized. None of what appears in the text of the Holy Bible is completely accurate, and only the Holy Spirit may reveal the truth to those who truly believe in God's eternal truth. Yeshua was a man whom God transfigured to have everlasting life, the same as Enoch and Elijah, and there is text evidence to prove the event of transfiguration to be a factual event of God's empowerment of a man to do his will in both the Old Testament and the book of Enoch. Two separate texts validate the event of transfiguring a human soul to have everlasting life as a power only the one true God Almighty has, and transfigured persons are taken away by God after they have completed their assigned tasks on earth. I can accept the details within these three testimonies to tell of how Yeshua instructed those present at the event not to tell anyone what happened until after he resurrected. The real Apostle John would have easily been without any guilt to tell about the transfiguration in his testimony, and there is no reason the real Apostle John would have excluded that critical detail of the life of Christ in his testimony. The absence of any details about the most important event of transfiguration and the preponderance of information that ultimately blasphemes God by insinuating that God is more than one entity are conclusive evidences proving that heretics created the gospel according to John. The entirety of the fourth gospel is a fraud proven by the lack of any telling of transfiguration because the real Apostle John would have been able to tell the truth about what happened. 
It has been heretics and pagans who have destroyed the original testimonies to conceal the truth that Enoch has revealed to mankind thousands of years before Yeshua was born. Yeshua met and conversed with Elijah and Enoch when he was transfigured to have everlasting life. The event had nothing to do about Yeshua being the Son of God because Enoch was transfigured to have everlasting life hundreds of years before Noah was born. The eternal witnesses who met with Christ on that mountainside would have been telling Yeshua the precise details of what was going to happen to him in order to prepare him for the suffering he would have to endure. It was Enoch and Elijah who told Yeshua what was happening to him and why it was going to happen. God chose those two men in history because Jesus also knew about how they had also been transfigured during their lifetime on earth. Moses was not one of the two eternal witnesses present at Christ's transfiguration because Moses was a murderer who still awaits God's judgment, the same as all murderers and unrepentant sinners await after they die on earth. The proof of this fact may also be found in the book of Enoch. Only those whom God has deemed worthy of receiving eternal life by transfiguring their souls to be eternal, could have been present at Christ's transfiguration because everyone else who has ever lived and died on earth remains in the repository of souls managed by Raphael. There is a reason why the rapture event will call forth all those who have died on the land or in the seas. Their souls have never ascended to heaven, and none will ascend into heaven until the great day of judgment. Read the book of Enoch and know that Judgment Day approaches. There is one event in the life of Jesus that appears in all four Gospels. And it is an example of how Jesus was truly human because he made the mistake of being violent in contradiction of all that we know he taught in his ministry. Some people may say that this event did not happen because acts of violence were not the sorts of things Yeshua taught. In fact, he constantly taught against violence, but it proves that Yeshua was a human being incapable of sin, the same as any other man. While the event of Jesus turning the tables of the money changers in the temple is a violent act, and it is clearly uncharacteristic of what Jesus has been teaching, there must be some reason for it to be in these testimonies. Because Yeshua was a man, he lost his temper and turned the tables in the temple when he became angry about what he saw happening. If this event truly did occur, then it unequivocally proved that Yeshua was a man, not Son of God. Yeshua was not perfect, nor holy like God who is perfection and never needs to repent. Yeshua taught repentance. And there is no doubt that he later repented his actions because he was truly the Messiah who also understood the need to have 
humility as a human being. The details of how he would go away from the crowds by himself are the evidences that he was praying and repenting. Even Jesus Christ had to repent of sin because he was a man. I think the testimonies about the various sermons and parables are the most important parts of the Gospels, except for those that are completely made up in the Gospel according to John. These sermons and parables are the most important part of the Messiah's message. Earlier I promised that I was going to point out some specific evidence within the Gospel according to Mark to further prove that Yeshua was an innocent human being, not Son of God. Despite the fact that readers will discover for themselves that there is a preponderance of text calling Yeshua the Son of God throughout the New Testament book of Mark, it is important to keep in mind that Mark was not one of the original twelve disciples, and those calling Yeshua the Son of God were the demonically possessed. When Mark writes about any of the disciples saying such things or those who have been healed or exercised saying it, Yeshua clearly tells them not to say that he is the Son of God. The pagan who most likely edited the details about Yeshua's instruction appearing in Mark's telling of the story tried to make it seem that Yeshua was telling everyone to keep it a secret. However, it has already been clearly shown that calling someone the Son of God was a blasphemy and only demonically possessed lunatics were openly saying this curse to Yeshua. There was a secret being kept, and the point of the editor's tact was to indicate that there was a secret message concealed in this testimony. I have revealed the secret pattern, first appearing in the Gospel according to Matthew, and it continues in the Gospel according to Mark. The truly faithful called Yeshua the son of David and Yeshua always referred to himself as Son of Man. The term Son of Man is not synonymous with Son of God. The two are not the same, because man is not God. Any theology that claims the phrase Son of Man actually means Son of God is a blasphemous lie, which Satan has created to trick people into thinking that a man became God. A man never becomes God, not ever. The book of Enoch also presents this as fact, with the statement Enoch was instructed to tell his family when the angels returned him to earth, no flesh shall be justified before the Lord. The meaning is unmistakable. No man of flesh will ever be God, because thou shalt have no other gods before the one true God, who is eternally the Holy Spirit. In Mark chapter 12, verse 29, Yeshua reminds his disciples and others that the Lord is only one, which clearly disproves the pagan heretical concept of a holy trinity, which is the basis for the Catholic doctrine. Yeshua's own words appearing in Mark's testimony prove that the Holy Trinity theology is a lie. In Mark chapter 5, verse 7, 
the demonically possessed called Yeshua, Son of God, but the faithful believers in Almighty God call Jesus the Son of David in chapters 10, verses 46 through 52. The most important evidence of how Yeshua aboard being called the Son of God appears in chapter 3, verses 11 through 12. The demonically possessed called him Son of God, and Yeshua admonishes them not to make this known. It was not that he wanted them to keep a secret, as if it was some kind of special secret to be kept. The truth is that Yeshua was telling them not to say these blasphemous things about him. Only the demonically possessed called Yeshua the Son of God because it has been a satanic curse to trick mankind into calling Jesus the Son of God. Yeshua clearly instructs those who exercise to tell others about what God has done for them. But they disobeyed his instructions and ran around telling everyone that Jesus had done these things for them. It has been the disobedient and demonically possessed heretics and pagans who have gone around telling people that Yeshua was guilty of being the Son of God. The Gospel according to Mark is a very problematic text, but it is a common mistake to think that it was one of the testimonies of the original twelve disciples. The Gospel according to Mark is a story written by someone who only knew the disciples and heard them tell their stories of the Messiah after Yeshua was already gone. All of what Mark writes is based on hearsay, and the details are sometimes exaggerated because he was an acolyte to the original apostles. Mark was a writer, not an actual witness to the life of Yeshua. Still, the gospel according to Mark has great value for perpetuating the memory of Yeshua because there are quite a few accurate details still existing in this text that the pagans and heretics did not remove or change when they edited the original manuscript. We will never know what, if anything, has been removed from the text initially written by Mark, but I feel pretty confident to say that there is more truth in this gospel than in Luke's, which we will examine in some detail during the next episode. The event of Jesus resurrecting Lazarus needs some explanation. The importance of this event is that it shows Christ mastered the abilities of Raphael, whose gift has always been to cast out demons, heal the sick, and resurrect the dead. Although there is fraudulent editorialization in the Gospel according to John about this event, I can accept that it did happen as one of the many miracles occurring in the life of Yeshua. The fraud within the telling of it in the paganized version within the testament known as the Gospel according to John is that there had elapsed four days before Jesus resurrected Lazarus. A careful examination of the details in that passage will reveal the fraud perpetrated by the pagan editor. The time and distance details are the key components overlooked in this fraud. Jesus only knew that Lazarus was sick or near death for two days before returning to see him, and the distance from where he was at the time was only an hour away. This detail 
is the reason that Christ knew Lazarus had not yet died. The fraud in the testimony begins with the pagan editor saying that Lazarus had been dead four days when Jesus arrived, and this is not even logically truthful. The matter has been constantly debated for centuries, but that has been the purpose of this fraud perpetuated by the Antichrist. The truth is that not even Raphael can resurrect a man after three days, or if the body was so severely damaged that only God could do it. John the Baptist was not resurrected after decapitation, and Jesus did not try, because he knew what I am saying. The limit is three days, because putrefaction begins on the fourth day, and rigor mortis only lasts for 24 hours. Resurrection is only possible on the third day after rigor mortis passes and before putrefaction begins. The most important part of resurrecting Lazarus is that it proved to Yeshua and the disciples that he was the Christ because he had received the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be able to perform this miracle. When Christ spoke to them all about resurrection, they knew he was telling the truth because they had seen it happen. With Lazarus. While he was able to raise Lazarus from the dead, Yeshua did not raise himself from the dead. According to information in Enoch's testimony within the book of Enoch, God gave this ability to the archangel Raphael, and it was the archangel Raphael who resurrected Jesus Christ after healing his body. Yeshua had mastered the characteristic of healing and resurrecting the dead because it was his destiny to follow the path of angels. Yeshua's spiritual evolution as the Messiah, the Chosen One, followed the path of angels, and the prophecy about the path of angels appears initially in the book of Enoch. In this episode, I have presented the second part of my testimony for Yeshua. I will continue to argue that he was an innocent man, a human being, not Son of God. I have proven the facts of his ministry and miracles while providing the details of how Yeshua followed the path of angels by mastering the characteristics of Raphael, whom God charged with the management of spirits and healing. I will also continue to declare my rejection of the fraudulent ideology of biblical inerrancy by proclaiming to the world that the Holy Bible has suffered many years of heretical editorialization resulting in a text that is filled with lies and falsehoods. I will continue to expose these faults with my testimony for Yeshua's innocence as a human being. Yeshua was not guilty of claiming to be the Son of God because that was something only demonically possessed lunatics would say. And true believers in Almighty God's Holy Spirit know Yeshua was the descendant of King David and the son of a man. I have been given the prophecy of eternal truth by the Holy Spirit, and these truths will be my guide to exposing the lies hidden within the New Testament. The third episode will cover Yeshua's crucifixion and resurrection, and I will further prove his innocence as a man whom God chose to deliver the eternal truth of the Holy Spirit to the world. Thank you for listening. I am Michael.